You are listening to the Think Brick Australia podcast. Think Brick Australia represents the clay, brick and paver manufacturers of Australia. Brick by Brick, our podcast will discuss technical information and architectural case studies with special guests. I'm your host, Elizabeth McIntyre, the CEO of Think Brick Australia. On today's podcast, we're delighted to welcome Claire Martin from Oculus, who's a landscape architect and also this year one of our jury members on the Think Brick Awards. Welcome, Claire. Thanks for having me. Claire, you didn't grow up in Australia, so I guess before we get started around landscape architecture and utilising masonry in that, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about your childhood. Well, I grew up in the in the north of England and the middle of England. I studied English literature and fine art before coming over to Australia and then studying landscape architecture. So what led you to come to Australia? I was actually on a working holiday visa, so I was one of those British backpackers. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't resist. I couldn't resist staying. So, yeah, I fell in love and that meant that I stayed. And when you studied, and I, I guess you, you studied literature, as you said, and fine arts, and so how did landscape architecture, I guess, become, was it a passion at the start? or I think it was probably a combination of a few things. So when I was in Sydney, I was fortunate enough to work for the Olympic Coordination Authority. So I was working on some events and infrastructure planning, and that really got me interested in the politics of public space. And then when I moved to Melbourne, I had a roof garden and I really just started to sort of join the dots on what it might mean to be a landscape designer and then in particular a landscape architect. When you were working on the Olympics and that and that site, I mean, it's such a, I guess, a landscape site and you mentioned that it taught you a little bit about public space. What were some of the lessons that you came away from that experience with? Yeah, I mean, I was very much in an administrative role, supporting some of the executive who were delivering in particular the public domain works and mm-hmm. the art integration. So it really just explained to me how complex public space is, so how much it is to do with the social and the cultural and the political. And I think just what it means to actually make something truly public and to have a legacy, I think they're the things that I was curious about. Do you think that people have... I guess, misconceptions about how easy those things are to create? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think in some ways if design is good, then we make it look easy. So yes. it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think it does, there's a lot of energy that you spend on things that you don't always see and it can take many years to deliver a project and then in landscape terms, many more years for that to establish and be well received by the community and ultimately to grow. There's always that I think there's that quote where it's, you know, wise men plant a tree for under the shade which they would never sit. But it is hmm. some of those things you see, the developments, and a lot of us live through them but then sometimes don't ever go back to see them once they're finalised. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think if you have a really good understanding of the place that already exists before you design anything, then hopefully you're designing something that sits well in its context and then isn't necessarily always really obvious but it's always, I guess, resonates. Was it a bit of a a thought change, obviously, coming from the UK to Australia and then being in a landscape, even in an admin role? What were some of the things that you had to think differently about? 
Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. I mean, I think we're working in a very different cultural context. So Australia is the most urbanised country in the world. So the way that cities relate to the coast is really interesting. I think even early on, I was very cognizant of First Nations culture and understanding the significance of that. There was lots of alignment with some other government authorities with what the Olympics were trying to do in Sydney. So I think I understood that it's quite a different cultural context. I think ultimately the way the sun moves, the whole orientation is very different. So that's quite important. And I think the vegetation is massively different, So, which is something I really like. I know not all English people when they come to Australia necessarily connect because it may not always be as green for them. Yes, yeah. But I think it, for me it's a, fantastic to get exposed to such different landscapes. Have you been back to the Sydney Olympic Park since you've worked on it? I have. I did go around the time of the Olympics and I have been back since. We've certainly tried to compete for some work there. I mean, I think the work that they've done is pretty extraordinary in the work that they're continuing to do. And I think they've really led the way in terms of water-sensitive urban design Mm. and some of the ecological aspects of that. So, yeah, it's an amazing legacy for Sydney and something that needs to continue to be invested in, I think. And, I mean, for us, as in the masonry industry, just the permeable pavers, you know, it's the biggest thing that we can say works. Yeah, it's fantastic and at massive scale and really good to have as a case study for why permeable surfaces are really important. So then you go back and you go to RMIT to study landscape architecture. And was that, I guess, what were your expectations of that? Because you've already completed some degrees. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think what happened was I was just as I said, interested in landscape. Then I went to an architectural office actually in Alice Springs and just happened to see them using some software and doing certain things and that got me interested. So then I did a drafting short course and I went to Burnley to do a, a landscape drawing course as well. And so I really just sort of fell into the landscape architecture program. So my expectations weren't necessarily fixed. I was just more really open to learning and doing something I really enjoyed. And I think it was just a really good fit for me in terms of, I guess, the theoretical aspects and the critical thinking aspects. Yeah. And then you joined, I guess, Oculus fairly soon after that. What 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 sort of were some of the things you started working on there? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I actually did my work experience at Oculus. Oh. So, so I'm hopefully a good example of what it can mean if you get a work placement as part of your study. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I had, I think at that point there was lots of model making. So we did quite a few models. So I think the projects that I worked on in particular, one of the biggest and most interesting was working on the Museum of Old and New Art, so Mona. And that tied to some things I was looking at when I studied. So the theme was very much around sex and death. And I had done some research on memorials and cemeteries. Mm. So that was something that interested me as well as education work and other public work. So I think it was a really good cross-section. So when I worked in the Melbourne studio, there were only about four or five people. So it was a much smaller studio. So you got really good exposure to lots of different projects at lots of different phases as well. As a landscape architect, I just wondered, what would you say when you're approaching things or projects, obviously they're different to how architects approach them. But maybe just for our audience, what are some of the misconceptions around what landscape architects do as opposed to how it does all translate? Hmm. That's a big question. I understand that. Yeah, there's a bit going on in that question. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there can be lots of similarities to 
the way some architects approach things, depending on the architect. I think that there are some differences in the sense that I guess from a landscape architectural perspective, we don't really limit ourselves to the space between buildings. So the work that we do as I said, can work at multiple scales and can be quite complicated. And so I think we, yeah, very much see it as being very contextual, which again is not necessarily different to mm. architecture, but it is about, yeah, about about the location of buildings and infrastructure and amenity in a broader context. And I think that context is social, cultural, environmental and economic. So I think we very much try and balance what can be at times tensions between those things. Yes. And I just wondered over this last, say, decade, have you noticed a a shift in change in terms of focus for what you're asked to concentrate on or what ends up being sort of more important issues? I think what's been really encouraging is probably in the context of climate change and increasing need to adapt to our climate that you're starting to see in particular the investment in green infrastructure as being more of a a must-have than a nice-to-have. So Mm. you're starting to see an increased value in landscape, which has taken its time and is still a way to go. But I think people are now understanding the health benefits, the wellbeing benefits, the recreational exercise benefits, all those social benefits. Again, probably after COVID, that's really been heightened. I think we're also understanding how landscape and green infrastructure in particular increase value of things, property value, existence value, all sorts of value. So I think the value proposition for landscape architecture has changed and therefore what we're being asked to design and where we're being asked to design it and in some ways the way that we're being asked to design it has changed, which is pretty exciting. And where do you see with climate change and some of the issues that we're facing, what role do you see landscape architects having in that? Yeah, I mean, I I certainly think that within the built environment, we are one of many disciplines and we're a very collaborative discipline. And I think we are always, as I said, trying to negotiate between those different priorities. So I think that landscape architects have a role to play in leading some of those solutions, but we also have a role to continue to collaborate and coordinate a lot of those complex challenges. So I think it's just more that the more we increase the population, the more pressure we put on the environment, the more pressure we put on our cities, the more we need to try and provide more amenity, not less. And I think probably another role that landscape architects increasingly play is also just not just designing for people. So the idea of protecting and enhancing our environments. That's such an important point. All right, we're going to go now into a little bit about masonry and you've worked on two projects that have featured very, very well in our awards, Arcadia Apartments and also the Joyce Chapel Bridge. Can you tell us how those projects came to you and, yeah, I guess why brick? Yeah, I mean, I think the Joyce Chapel Bridge is a really beautiful design by Sir and Waldron Architects, so it's a very contextual piece of work. So it very much started from an architectural perspective, considering the adjacent buildings, considering the paving and the immediate context, and really about replacing an existing heritage bridge. So it's quite a site-specific response. I think it's based on a collaboration that we already had with, or I already had in particular with Susanna for the Greater Metropolitan Cemetery Trust, so a real interest in cemeteries Mm -hmm. and the role that they play as public landscapes. So it was really about quite a minimal intervention that was a rethink on a garden bridge and I think that meant by its very nature there was something familiar and something 
quite unique about the material choice. And I think it's really the way it sits in the landscape is quite beautiful. It's really beautiful. Everyone commented on that. Were there any surprises that you had with it working in that context? I think I mean, there are quite a few heritage constraints. So I think the heritage constraints, considering the water level, the structural considerations, so I think that was an original garden bridge that probably would have been designed at a time when maybe there was a different appetite for risk. And so I think... <laughs> Love the way you've put that. <laughs> it hasn't been used for a long time. So I think that needing to consider the structural constraints, the fall risk and all those sort of safety considerations that in particular the architects resolved, but also factoring in and being able to input into what the plants might need to be able to thrive on what is essentially a sort of integrated piece of infrastructure. Yeah. Now, the Arcadia Apartments, huge project and lots of landscaping in that. How did you experience that, I guess, from a landscape perspective? Yeah, I mean, I'm in a, that was originally in our Melbourne studio, so mm. I was only involved very early on, but Oculus worked on that for many, many years. And I think why it's a successful project is because it is such a great integration of two different architecture firms and a landscape architect. So I think it's just mm. a really good values alignment on the way that that was involved. So the way that we were on that team was because of the type of practice that we are and the sort of work that we like to do and I think that it was yeah a shared approach to getting the best outcome that was holistic so it wasn't building first and landscape second mm. so I think the approach to having such a multi-level multi-residential sort of development required really clever thinking so there's a lot of structural considerations that go into supporting landscapes at multiple levels and making you feel like you're on ground even when at times you're on structure. So I think there's something, yeah, very grounding that it is very contextual both in terms of its referencing of the brickworks and the fact that that site is inextricably linked with the production of brick. But I think it's just something that is very familiar and very tactile, very comforting and very humanising about brick in that. So it's really a very, it feels very continuous and contiguous. And when you're, I guess, looking at the material of brick and you're integrating it into a landscape environment, what are some of the considerations you, you're thinking about as opposed to other materials? Yeah, I mean, I think increasingly we are th always thinking about the embodied energy of any materials that we use, whether they're new materials or reused materials. I think the distances that those materials are traveling from I think but I think in particular when using materials like brick it is about the scale it is about that tactility so I think the choice to use brick and something that works at a, a very human scale I think is really really important in landscape so a lot of what Oculus does is work with architectural scale so scale of the city or the scale of buildings so I think the way that we design for direct engagement by people with the spaces that we create really is important. Therefore, the choice of those sorts of materials becomes really important because it does allow you, it's a bit more, it's warmer. It's warmer in colour, can be warmer in colour, can be warmer to touch. So I think it's just that level of engagement becomes really, really important. Now we do have quite a lot of architectural students, both landscape and architect students that listen to this podcast. Do you have any advice for aspiring young landscape architects? Yeah, I mean, I think I would certainly encourage people to study it, whether they've studied architecture or urban design before. I think it's something that they could go on to study as a mature age student, not just as a school leaver. I certainly came to landscape architecture in my 30s. So 
I think it does attract people who have studied other things and I think that's what makes it quite a rich profession. Uh, I would encourage people to think about what they bring to practising. So I think what their values are and then how they may align their values with a practice that may employ them, whether it's in government, education or private practice. I would always encourage people to think of themselves having a practice within a practice. So you may not have your own practice, but you have some control and some agency over the way that you choose to work. So I would encourage people to always reflect on that and bring that to everything they do because I think that will help them get the most out of the work that they do. That's great advice. Do you have a favourite plant species? <laughs> or is oh, that asking gosh. like trying to pick yeah, your favourite child? Yeah, your favourite child, that's right. Hmm. That is a really good question. I don't think I do. Uh, no, I mean, I think it I really... I put you on the spot with that yeah, one. I was going to so. say, that's a new one. I don't know. There is. It's funny. One thing, and it's not something I can really work with, but I think I've done a little bit of thinking around spatial intelligence, which is when you really reflect on what it is that appeals to you aesthetically and why it does. And yep. I think that as a child growing up, I was quite obsessed with moss in my grandparents' garden. And I think that moss and very green and in particular maybe ferns so okay. probably I'm quite obsessed with ferns but yeah <laughs> bring back the remember I think it was later the maiden hair fern everyone had one of oh, those yes. hard yes. to keep alive but yes, yes. <laughs> thank you for reassuring me on that it's a hard one. in closing if you could ask people to consider one thing when they thought of landscape what would it be hmm. it probably would be value I think it would be about the value of landscape. So I think it is something that we all have an affinity, a very human affinity for. And I think if you can value landscape beyond just what it means for humans, I'd probably advocate for that. So putting people need to put their money where their mouth is. They need to ensure that the landscapes that we design are maintained and they need to budget for that and they need to commit time to that. Well, Claire, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you and thank you for illuminating me on a lot of the other side of, of landscape design. We've got a couple of rapid quick fire round questions for you. All answers are acceptable. Reading the news, a newspaper or online? Online. Handwriting or typing? Handwriting. For sketching ideas and concepts, would you use a pencil, pen or e-pen? E-pen. Do you like to read books or listen to audiobooks? Books. What is important to you, style or substance? Substance. Coffee or tea? Coffee. TV shows or movies? I watch a lot of TV shows but I'd still say movies. Antique or modern? Modern. Call or text? Text. Travel back in time or into the future? Into the future. Exterior or interior? <laughs> Definitely exterior. <laughs> Video games or board games? board games form or function function and complex or simple with relation to design simple claire thank you so much thank you it's been a pleasure if you have enjoyed this podcast please follow rate and review our podcast we are always looking for new ways to think brick if you have an idea of what you'd like to hear about there's a link in our show notes to let us know.